Hey y'all, welcome to Preaching to the Choir podcast with your host me, Jen Randall. Today guys, we have an encore episode for you because just in case you're new around here and you haven't listened to some of the early ones, you do not want to miss them. So because we're in season three with the Rangers and choreographers, I am bringing back for you one of our favorite episodes with the arranger and show designer and director extraordinaire, Mr. John Burley. So please enjoy today's encore episode. Have you taken the dogs out yet today? Oh, several times. It's beautiful here today. That's good. At least it's a nice weather. For... Well, what's the weather usually like this time of year for you, though, in Chicago? It's a crapshoot. Like oh. one day might be in the 30s with maybe some snow and one day might be mid 70s or pouring rain in the 50s. Like you just never know. Right. So that's really fun and really, really stabilizing in, in exactly. this time. Um, exactly. Yeah, we don't want to talk about, you know, coronavirus this entire time that we're chatting, but it bears to mention that's probably going to come up because we are recording during the time of during the time of quarantine. Well, thank you for chatting with me today. I'm so glad that you were, you know, available during our busy schedules of quarantine. Here I am. Happy to make the time. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> um, so what are you filling your time with? Although this time of year, you would maybe already be getting ready to like start doing some arranging possibly is this a little earlier is this kind of the time you would start doing that you know the past couple years i've set april 1st as my start date for my writing season um not because i mean nobody needs something this early right but in order to in order to hit all the delivery dates that people want you know mid-summer um early fall i need to back things up so starting in april allows me to spend the right amount of time on each project. So like I said, the past couple of years I've started writing on April 1st. So now that we're here in April, it feels normal. It was weird for the previous, you know, the past two, three yeah. weeks. Um, Cause I did lose some in-person work, like a musical that I was working on. Oh, canceled. yeah. yeah. And then so like, that was a bummer. A couple judging gigs, I assume a couple. Of yeah. Gigs. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. So, which is kind of a bummer. Because, like, that's usually a nice way to end, like, to kind of wrap things up and mm-hmm. be like, okay, this season is officially done. Um, and, you know, just sitting at home and, I mean, I could have cleaned my basement or <laughs> painted something, but instead I decided to try to fill my time um, getting a jump start on next season. So uh, it was actually kind of nice. I took some time and got emails out. I on all the Spotify playlists and stuff that I make yeah. for the different shows that I write, I actually uh, used some clip art. Did you fancy? I did. I, you have no idea. Like clip art you made or you found on the Google? All right. So stuff. I just went on Google and I saved an image and I right clicked, you know, and then I just, <laughs> uh, there's a thing where on Spotify where you can click it. But let me tell you, it takes a while to pick the perfect picture. It really, it really is a whole process. Yes. Now, I, I will tell you that one of the directors you work with has sent me the screenshot of of what you did for them just as a teaser because he and I were speaking earlier today. I'm sure he has. And um, yeah, he uh, I'm sure we know who we're talking about. And he was um, <laughs> so excited about it. And the first thing I thought was, well, that is a very professional icon on that Spotify playlist. I well, thank you. I thought that. And so the fact that you took time to do that makes me feel better now that like you really that is some time you spent. That's what you did instead of cleaning your basement. Oh, absolutely. And I really am not embarrassed to to admit that it took far too long. (laughs) But honestly, at this point, what do we have but time? That feels very prophetic, but that's where we're at. Like, you can spend all the time in the world doing that. Well, I probably should back up a little bit in case, like, somebody, you know, does not know that this is what you do or doesn't know that what you're doing with your time now that you are are no longer full-time in the classroom. So let's back up, and why don't you go through your 
what I would call your path to being a show choir professional. Like, how did you end up doing the job you're doing today? You can start as far back as you need to. You know, you were five years old at piano recital, whatever you need to start at. Um, I'll start where it actually gets interesting, I think. Okay. Um, I was, I mean, I grew up in a small town uh, where everybody, uh, about an hour south of Chicago. Okay. A little farm town called Mantino. Okay. Um, but it was one of those little towns where everybody did everything. Yes. And you know, the, you, you had to play sports and be on student council and be in band because if you weren't, those things didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, for, for my whole life, I've been kind of focused on being well-rounded, but just, you know, and I was, was, I am uh, a nerd. So like I, I loved school and all that kind of stuff. Um, so when I was, uh, gonna, eh, Junior year in high school, I okay. wanted to do pre-med, chemical engineering, and Ooh, you know, all this kind of nerd. stuff. Congrats. Oh, super nerdy. Yeah. Super nerdy. Love math and science. Yeah. Um, when I was teaching, I would I would like if my kids were you know struggling with, with chemistry homework or whatever, I would love to help them because I'm super nerdy. Um, at any rate, so I went and I was applying for all these schools and stuff, and I got really offended because one of the and this was back when you had to interview to go to college. Right. I'm not oh, sure. yeah. Well, you remember. Yeah. I, re- I remember that, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, right. And um, so one of the interviewers was like, you know, I don't think your, your dress scores are fine. Your grades are fine, blah, 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 blah. But I just don't think this is where you're really meant to be. And I, of oh. course, being the 17-year-old version of myself, um, <laughs> was super offended because she doesn't know me. And, and you, know, you will whatnot. show her. Just wait, girl. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. So then I, what I wound up doing from there was like, well, what should I do? And then I decided to do music because it was what I, you know, I, I really did love it Yeah. Um, in, in school. And I was like, well, maybe that's what I meant to do. Yeah. And I wanted, I loved, I was more of an instrumentalist back then. What, what, what instruments and did I just you play? loved being in band. Uh, I, well, I started with saxophone oh, okay. and then added all the rest of the woodwinds. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I was on bassoon. Um, mm. And the only woodwind that I hadn't switched to at that point was oboe, which I got to in college. Right, yeah. But, so, but I want, what I wanted to do was be in, like, be in a pit. Okay. So I wanted to, like, my lifelong dream was to be on a pit, in, you know, Broadway or yeah. for the Met. And yeah. I just love that. I like accompanying. I also play piano. I started that a little later. Yeah. Um, so then freaked out uh, because I didn't want to be in a practice room my whole life. And what I liked about music, I know, shocking, but what I liked about music was the, the camaraderie of it all and yeah. getting to, you know, make music with people. Yeah. I appreciate the irony of having said that juxtaposed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with my current Your professional Your current career. life choice, yes. <laughs> right. Um, but truly, so then I decided, okay, I'm going to switch to music ed. The only school that was still doing, this was May of my senior year, the only ooh, school that was still doing ooh, auditions. Yeah, it was Millican University. Okay. And they were doing, they did rolling admissions. So I just showed up one day and they had two audition slots available, one in voice and one in piano. So I did both of them and there I was. <laughs> that was Fast that. track to be a show choir director. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it was kind of weird. Um, really kind of weird. So anyway, the reason I went all the way back there is because when I was in high school, or when I was growing up or like dreaming of what I wanted to do, I didn't know that what I currently do even existed in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like when I talk to high school kids, either at camps or former students or whatever, or college kids, and they're, you know, this angst about, I don't know what I'm going to do or I, I can't decide on a major yet and all that. And it's like, no, listen. You don't have to know. It <laughs> like, may not exist. <laughs> right, right. Because I now pay my bills doing something that maybe, maybe didn't exist when I was in high school. Maybe it did and I didn't know about it, but right. whatever. So anyway, love teaching. Um, bounced around from Illinois to Indiana mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. got out of Indiana as quickly as we could. Anybody who lives there could tell you why. Anybody who doesn't live there, don't. Um, I was born there, so I do understand. Yeah, and you got out. I got out at six weeks old, so yes. Right. <laughs> Never to go back. <laughs> Literally, that was it. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And then when when I decided to to be done teaching, I was you know trying to figure out what I was going to do for second half of my you know professional life, um, and just explored some other options. Whether I was going to go back to school or try to teach at the college level, or maybe try to get another uh, choir job, and just you know, my wife has always wanted to live in California, and it was like, well. If ever we're going to go, now's the time. 
so we packed up and headed west and I was like well at that point I was doing some side gigs for friends or whatnot and writing a few things here and there and I was like well as I'm trying to decide what to do at least I've got some income with these side gigs and before I knew it my calendar was fully booked with side gigs so I was like well this will work for a year like this takes the pressure off of trying to figure out what I'm going to do for a year and three and a half years later here it's we are awesome. doing it always. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I miss, I mean, of course, you know, same thing with you. Like I miss yeah. a lot of things about the classroom, For sure. Um, but I, I'm pretty happy right now with what I'm doing and I couldn't do today what I'm doing without it being informed by all of what I've gone through. Oh, absolutely. You know? I think like what you were saying earlier about like when kids are stressed out about, I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to be like, you haven't done anything yet to know what you're going to, like you haven't right. done enough to walk the path far enough to have a fork in the road to make a choice. Basically like your choices have all been made for you to this point. You are an 18 year old child in a high school that in a town that your parents chose for you. So like right. until you like move out of the house, make like one decision at least on the road of your life, first yeah of course you don't know what you want to do because, yeah. because everything and nothing seems possible basically at this point so exactly I well and i that. found you're probably the same as me but i found that the kids especially like the type a ones that mm -hmm. can say that oh, yeah. being wired that way yes. like they thought like they needed the answers yeah and what I kept trying to explain to kids, and I never could explain it because you can't explain it. You have to live it. But it was like, stop looking for the answers and be willing to find the questions first. Oh, my gosh. That's Because I so didn't know, true. you know, I didn't know what parts of my life I needed to, to fulfill more until I started asking myself what I was missing or what I wanted more of or what really fed me and what I felt good about. And like right. the questions then informed the choices instead of me thinking, oh, I've got to know what I want to do and I've got to know where I'm going to live and I've got to know, mm -hmm. you know, so, so I just kept like, you know, like I said, you can't explain it. I think yeah. you just have to live it. But just the, the notion of being open to learning all the questions, same thing when you're teaching, yeah. you know, like your first and second year teaching your first year. I mean, God bless all the first year teachers. And surely there are some listening, yeah. but first year teachers, I mean, let's, it would be cool if everybody just admitted you don't have a clue in your first year. Oh, yeah. And then in your second year, mm -hmm. the only thing different about your second year is that you know when, maybe you know when to duck the blows, right. but the blows are still coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, that and lasts then third and fourth year, you start to Yes, exactly. It takes time. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, that's, that's awesome. That's those are still valuable experiences for the students to get to go through also. So it's like, it, it's all good. But, but I found that when I was teaching, like it was a matter of the first several years. And even when I changed jobs, it was starting over again, but having to relearn what questions I need the answers to rather than just needing to seek answers. Oh my gosh. Because there is an education, especially when you're first teaching, well, whenever you're teaching, like you said, a, a brand new job, right? I think administration thinks their entire job is to give you the answer to every possible question that could ever exist on yes. one piece of paper or in one handbook um, or an email or a meeting that you had that never ends. And you're going, I don't even need 50% yep. at more than that. 75% of these mm -hmm. questions will never apply to me. So yeah, finding out what actually will even matter is right. so important. And you can't know that starting out at the beginning. You have to have done something in it. You have to have done it for a year or two. And then you go, oh, that mattered. Oh, just kidding. That didn't matter at all. Well, let me ask you this then. When you were first teaching, especially, do you find, did you find at least, and maybe still now, do you find that you learn just as much by what didn't work versus what did work? Or are you the kind of person who feels like you can kind of plan out the options in your mind in advance and you can see which path is already not going to work? Yes to both. Um, yeah. I'm a planner person okay. and that goes with being type A and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So I am sometimes hesitant to make a move mm -hmm. unless I've thought seven steps down the road and what could possibly go wrong, mm -hmm. which is then prevented me from making some moves where probably nothing would have gone wrong or I would have made it four steps and turned the corner anyway. So it wouldn't have mattered that seven steps would have been a disaster. True. So I think some of that, that care and planning, you know, maybe prevented me from taking some risks that in hindsight I might've taken. Um, but I also learn a lot more from mistakes than successes like successes. I just, the way that I'm wired, I don't take a ton of time to celebrate successes. 
I'm like, all right, it worked, but on to the next thing. Yeah. As opposed to when something doesn't work, you know, you lick your wounds a little bit, yeah. and then it's like, well, what the? Ah, uh, you gotta you know, dissect then, that thing too, then, and go exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, pro- for me personally, I probably learn more from failure than successes, and Lord knows I've made plenty of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but also, like I said, uh, some of the mistakes I avoided making but maybe wouldn't have been mistakes. I don't know. Yeah. Seems like a weird way to say that. No, that totally makes sense. Cause I think that especially again, when we're talking about like beginning teachers and and people who are new in, in in their professional Mm -hmm. settings are so often afraid to make any mistakes at all that, uh, you know, that keeps them from growing period. Mm -hmm. Like there's no growth happening at all. And, and, or the people that only make choices that seem safe tends to ha- tends to be the same thing where you know this may seem safe it ends up being a misstep because it was so safe like right. you know i mean i feel like i see that so often with with new or at the very least a missed opportunity for sure absolutely it could have been so much more it could have been so much better and i think exactly. on some level we're both talking about creative choices pretty much here and i'm thinking about like let's talk about like shows and show planning which is of course a huge part of what i want to talk to you about today like when you are i think when I look back at the stuff I planned when I was first starting and I, and you're smiling already and I know you can feel this way too about your own stuff. Like tell me about what you feel when you go back and you look at the stuff that you did creatively in those first few years you were in charge of a show choir. Well, and again, like to harken back a little bit to what we've already talked about. Like, I just want to talk to that version of myself (laughs) who, by the way, knew everything there was to know. Absolutely. There was no telling us anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I had been planning those shows yes. since I first started show choir yes. and I had fine tuned every detail of them. So it was going to be great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until it wasn't. Yeah, inevitably. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. And that's, you know, but the first couple of years, it's funny because when you're coming up with shows before you're a teacher, you're thinking about it from the perspective of a show designer or producer an audience member, mostly quite frankly, because you know, when you're growing up and you're in it or That's all you're you know. in college, yeah, all you do is watch it. You take it in. You're an appreciator at best. Even if you're a student of, you're still just a sponge, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. That just, that's one of the steps. Mm-hmm. But what you don't think about is the, the teaching or the educational component. Yes. Even if you think you're thinking about it, I don't think it's possible to really wire your brain that way until you're, you know, put in front of a group of 20, it. 40, 60 kids, you know? Absolutely. So I would say my biggest creative mistakes were actually rooted also in pedagogical mistakes. Ah, mm-hmm. um, so once I figured out, you know, more figured out the teaching component of it all, you know, mm-hmm. the primary part of our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what? Tell me more about that. that out, I know, right? Once I started figuring that out and making creative decisions driven by by learning. hopes and outcomes and goals and not to drop jargon. But I mean, Mm -hmm. truly, once I made my creative decisions based around those things, it opened up a whole world of of creativity that I didn't know existed. And it seems counterintuitive. It seems like, okay, once you start, you know, teaching to the test, it's going to be lock things down. But for me, it really didn't. It gave more purpose to my creativity and it gave a little bit more direction I'm not a good brainstormer. I'm not a creative person. People have fought with me on that. I'll tell you, I, I work very, very hard and I, Oh, well, yeah, I don't think I'm willing to. Yeah. I would put my work ethic up against anybody. Absolutely. But I would not put my creative energy up against anybody's because there are so many people like there are people who sit down on the couch and just dream up these wonderful things. That is not me. I have to work very, very hard. And when ideas come, I have to really pay attention to them and I have to listen. And I, it just, it just takes me a long time. But once I started making creative decisions based off of teaching goals, I had some direction for my creativity Mm -hmm. and I had some it was like kind of like a built-in plan. Mm-hmm. And and if I got a checklist, I'm happy to go down a checklist. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, before, yeah. So before when I was just approaching show design, first couple of years teaching, um, from a, an audience member's perspective or an appreciator's perspective, I thought that I'd put together these really cool ideas. Turns out what I put together were ideas that I thought were cool. Right. And so I didn't have any understanding of universal appeal, which if you're a good teacher, 
you know that there's there there's a need for universal learning and and different ways of communicating the same concept to different types of learners and students. Well, it's the same way when you're putting a a production in front of an audience. You need to have different things that will grab different audience members to have a universal appeal. So for me, that pedagogical understanding has absolutely defined my now producing self. That is, I've never heard anyone describe it the way you just said it with that pedagogical angle to it, which of course that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Obviously, I think as long as you've done this for any number of years, people our age and certainly older have done it enough to know, yes, you have to have universal appeal. But that thought process that it's just like learners in your classroom, you have to diversify the way that you're teaching things, obviously. You have to diversify the way that you are giving the audience members things, you know, in order for it to feel like that. That makes so much sense. That's a really, really good point. Um, When you were talking about that, too, I was thinking about how um, I think that show planning, too, when you're talking about not being a creative person, which I am not someone who will argue with you on that because I I know what you're saying. I understand completely what you're saying. Um, Mm -hmm. I am also someone who. While I do sometimes have creative thoughts, I'm not really a creative person myself either in the way that I think so many people in our field are. Um, But you do have to have that balance because if you're just someone who has a full bloom of creative ideas all the time, you have to be able to execute them. You have to be able to break them down into ways that are digestible for either a judge or an audience member. And so creativity can sometimes be, this is a weird thing to say maybe, but a hindrance, I think, Mm -hmm. in in doing what we're trying to do. Um, Or you just have to have somebody on the other side of the ball that's a balance. And I think a lot of us get lucky um, in our in our work lives or not lucky, maybe just on purpose. We're searching out for that other side of the coin, um, which I think you do that for people. And uh, certainly everybody I know that you work with, like they love that about you, that skill set about you that you can go through and break things down and go, okay, this will work. And here's why. And here we're checking this box and people need that. So. I, I know that you're filling that need for people when you are um, well, first of all, you are doing both show planning now and arranging. So you're doing both right. sides of that. Correct. Um, yeah. Tell me about, you know, you don't have to go into a ton of detail if you don't want to, since it's kind of proprietary to your job, but tell me about a little bit of like the process of working with someone to plan a show that isn't, your own children because that's a different thing going from like having your own group having your own school knowing them seeing them all the time knowing so how do you kind of bridge that gap uh that was one of my biggest challenges when i started to do this full time was figuring out how to do it well because look i mean anybody who knows how to work finale or Sibelius or pro tools <laughs> thinks they can be an arranger. And most of them are right. Like they, <laughs> they might that. not be a good one. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. But, the, but truly, yeah. I mean, you, anybody who can put dots on a page can be an arranger. Technically. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, we thank you. And part that. of, and part of my kid's success, I believe when I was teaching part was due to the, the dots that were on the page for them. Um, but the dots that they sang, the, the final product was never the first draft. Mm-hmm. Yes. For me. So, and, and I just learned how to workshop my own work um, and adjust to what I had. And of course, later on in my career, um, I, there were fewer adjustments that needed to be made because Mm -hmm. I figured a lot of things out by them, but I've always made adjustments. Mm -hmm. So one of my fears when I started to do this full time for other people was I'm not going to see the kids all the time. I'm not going to know about the adjustments. I'm not going to know what your strengths are. I'm not going to know that these three second sopranos all have the exact same sweet spot. Right. So I'm going to write this for them and know that three voices can carry or know that, okay, well you don't have those this year. So we've got to, you know, all those things that you just inherently know about your own singers. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to know that. So it's weird. Every time I take on a new client, which is pretty rare now, which is a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very grateful. Um, but whenever I take on a new client, the first conversation is never, it's kind of weird. They feel like they're on a job interview a little bit, but <laughs> I think that they know that I'm quirky enough and they just kind of roll with it. Right. But 
our first conversation is never about what, what's the show going to be. Our first conversation, I ask them about what their program is, and I ask them about what their hopes are. I always, 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 even with clients that I work with you know, for several years, um, I'll ask them what their group's personality is. Mm. You know, do, you, do you have the goofy boys that need to graduate, or are you, do you have, are, is it a nerdy choir boy year? Right. Either way, good. We can, we can do either way, but those take different, you know, those are different approaches. So I try to get to know the directors as much as I can. Um, most of the time, not always, most of the time groups tend to be a decent reflection of their directors. For sure. I would agree with that. Yeah. So, yeah. So just the more I work with people, the more I, I can know and I feel comfortable writing things for them. Um, first time out, I mean, it's, it's going to be a crapshoot. Yeah. So luckily where I am now in my career is that I've, I'm not taking any gigs where I don't already know the group. Right. Yeah. And you can't, where I don't have some mm -hmm. information to mm -hmm. put it on. Like I'm not just answering a cold call. Hey, will you write this chart for me? Right. Um, not because I'm above that, but because I know that that wouldn't be my best work. Mm -hmm. So, so, but then to you know, loop back and catch the creative element of that different directors like having different amounts of say in their shows. I was going to ask about that. I, that part is very curious to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which is for me a blessing because it means I don't know that I could write as many shows as I write if I had to do all of the design work yeah. myself. Mm -hmm. um, simply because again, not creative. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, a lot of second guessing. Um, so when I do design a show from the ground up, picking all the songs, all the costumes, all the, all the, mm -hmm. um, it's exciting and it's fun because, I mean, I, I liked doing that when I was directing. Mm -hmm. But I, I, there, I just don't have the energy to do that for all the groups I write for. Conversely, um, when a director wants to do all that themselves and basically just gives me the layout, we're doing these songs, it's this part to this part. I want the boys to sing here and the girls to sing there. I would not have fun writing as many shows as I write, if it was all that, totally, yeah. I, I would feel like I would feel like a machine. Mm -hmm. However, the few of them where I where I do that, it is kind of nice to be like, hey, I can breathe life into your vision. Yes. I can, this side of my brain is happy to contribute and and can you know make it such that you feel fulfilled as a creative voice with your own kids. And I'm happy to just put the dots on the page. Yeah. I wouldn't be happy to just be dots for everybody. Sure. And I don't have the energy to do everything for everybody. I find that most people that I've worked with, we've, we've garnered a, a good, good relationship and <clears throat> there's a good amount of trust. So we'll go back and forth. Yeah. Most people that I work with don't care whose idea it is. So if I've got an idea and I'm like, okay, Jen, let's do this. I, I feel like I really want to do a, a, a Coke Zero show with your kids, you know? Um, Can we? And, because really. <laughs> well, it is the Supreme Cola. But um, no, but so it's like, like if I said that to you, um, most directors that I worked with would be like, oh my gosh, yeah, let's run with that. Yeah. No, none of them are like, um, the, I'd really like to come up with the idea myself. I shouldn't say none of the directors. I'm sure some of them are. But, no, but and likewise, if you were to say to me, hey, I really want to do a seven up show. Yeah. Then I'd be like, cool, let's 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 go there. Let's let's explore that idea. And there's there's just a lot of give and take and, and just most of the groups fall somewhere in the middle. Maybe it starts with me, maybe it starts with them, maybe it's just like a shared experience that we're in the same place together. Sure. It's like, oh my gosh, is this turning into a show? I think it might. <laughs> and then, you know, or somebody's got like, I mean, any of us who do this are nerdy enough to have trunk shows oh, and sure. have yeah. back burner ideas and yep. whatever. <laughs> and so what I found is sometimes if, if we're having trouble figuring out a starting spot, like, okay, nah, whose idea are we going to go with? That's like, okay, well, tell me about, do you have any back burner ideas? And you'd be like, well, actually, Dr. Pepper has kind of been bouncing around in my brain for years. I just don't know how to do it. And I was like, I like Dr. Pepper too. That could work. Maybe, you know, so then we go from there. Um, and, and that's pretty fun too. That makes so much sense. And, and that would really be the only way to do it. Like you're saying, when you don't have that daily knowledge and that daily experience with them, mm -hmm. um, to make that work. And, you know, I think that there are so many people that in our field that, um, that are arranging 
Now, I say this as someone who myself is not an arranger. I would never claim to be that person. Um, but who are arranging and really do just enjoy the churning out the chart. Like they're very okay with that part of it. Um, and we, and as you're saying, it's a balance. We need that too. We need those kind of people who are just churning out the sheet music. But um, I, I think that that's so interesting about what you do. I think that's a real differentiation in what you're doing uh, that we haven't seen as much of in show car yet. And so it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I, I've yeah. so enjoyed seeing the shows you've done that way so far with different groups. Well, and um, I'll tell you this though, as I build my calendar, I'm really intentional, not just about meeting people's deadlines, um, which I, do but mm -hmm. <laughs> as i decide yeah um as i decide okay these two songs or these four songs aren't due until august it's currently april mm -hmm. i'm ready to get going i'm really intentional on the order that i work on those songs um because sometimes even in a really creative really involved show mm -hmm. sometimes there's a minute and 15 seconds just plug and play yeah. show choir it's a lift it's easy it doesn't take a lot of creative energy it still takes the time to do sure. to write the chart but it doesn't take as much problem solving as maybe like a really complex medley so i'm intentional about how i put things together so that way sometimes it's fun to just be like all right i'm gonna knock this out of the park and it's gonna take me one day and mm -hmm. it's gonna be done and i like you know it's like any of us that like to check something off a list like sometimes that's fulfilling in the same way where like a three or four day medley where i can solve all the puzzle is fulfilling i just make sure that i'm not doing too many of the same types of things in a row mm -hmm. again because i like that that variety probably goes from when i was a kid and just jack of all trades trying to bounce yeah. around and stay balanced okay so i'm going to ask you about a specific piece which i was not planning to do but as you're talking about the the you know writing of things and how quickly it comes or or you know all that so this year to, to 2020's uh comp show for omaha west side the torch oh, okay. song oh my god so if you have not seen this you can go on the interwebs i'm sure by now and find this but it starts with a solo um from torchy tess and that by the way that headdress that she wears in that i tried it on in doran's office like three months ago that thing weighs like 15 pounds and like stabs you in the cheekbone how that girl like sang and danced I, I will literally never know she's she's a goddess for sure but um but for your part of it the way that song fits together is absolutely bananas in the best possible way and I want to know how long that took you um I can tell you you're looking if you want if you really want to know oh, like I, I'm, I want to know the exact amount of time so again while he's looking that up it moves from this torch song and then it moves into the country western type song i've been everywhere which we're referencing the olympic torch moving around the world and then and the olympic games and then it moves into we didn't start the fire by billy joel and instead of the billy joel lyrics it references every place that the modern olympics have been and it's in chronological order correct yeah. Yeah. It's in chronological order. It's with the, with the rhyming scheme and all that stuff. Yes. With uh, the rhyming scheme. It's nuts. Okay. How long did it take you? Well, the song itself is about three minutes. So right. it's about, it's in like an average length show choir song, mm -hmm. you know, anywhere between two and a half, three and a half minutes. So yep. it's not, and it's not abnormally long or short. And it took me two and a half times what it usually takes me to write a standard length song. Yeah. Um, it took me, and again, completely anal retentive but i can tell you that just lyrics alone was eight and a half hours oh my gosh that's actually honestly that's less than i thought it was going to be because like the again the rhyme scheme the chronology of it it's and i think the first time you watch it you're like oh that's cute it's about the olympics and then i ended up judging it two or three times this year and saw it at a, at a clinic and all that and so by the fourth or fifth time i saw it i started really listening going holy cow that's a lot and i love that in show choir when you can like the more you see it the even better it gets even right. though it was already good um but yeah i just have to like bow down to you and your writing and arranging skills on that one because that was nuts. nuts i can tell friend. you though that part of why that that was possible was because that was in that was one of those places that was the perfect intersection of um like my interests and the group that i was writing like their their director's preferences and the group's yes. ability and that kind of stuff i've always been an olympics junkie i 
am heartbroken that Tokyo is going to be another year <sighs> off. Know, and which now means that the, the lyric from that song in 2020 Tokyo is where we'll get our kicks. Um, it's not 2020, it's 2021, which does not flow. Uh, the director but, and I were texting saying that his is the only Olympics that happened this year. Were you in that text too? Did I send that to you as well? I was like, congrats, no, you had but, the only Olympics that happened this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I was, so I'm an Olympics junkie and I've always been a fan of that. Yeah. So for me, it was just a natural like thing that I was okay to be super nerdy about. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it just happened to, it was a good intersection of his interests. And again, the way that show kind of went together. Um, I could not like another example of, of something that, that was like an audience favorite or fan favorite yeah. was the Carmel girls when they did their glamping show. Yes. Okay. Um, and the disaster medley yes. that was in that, <laughs> yes. which still kind of makes me chuckle. And, and people seem to really enjoy that. That was just another thing that the director and I had worked together and like our senses of humor were pretty, like that was right where our sense of humor lined up. Yeah. So again, for me, like I was, I was invested and there was enough of my kind of cheekiness in that. So when people are like, oh my gosh, I love that. I want to do that. Well, I can't just, Yeah. I don't just pull those out of thin air. If you're like, I want to do that for my Dr. Pepper show. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I will I will try my hardest. And if you've hired me for that and we're working together, I will give you my very best effort. Mm-hmm. But I need to be mm-hmm. honest, Dr. Pepper does not inspire me the way that cheeky humor, sarcasm, or the Olympics do. So that I don't know that I can... Me. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I can do one of those right. medleys for that. So it's not a, it's not a universal one-size-fits-all thing. It's really got to resonate in, in a lot of different ways. Have you ever had a request from a director that you had like you had to like go research a ton or you really had to like was there ever and have you said yes to things like that or is that something where you normally say to them listen this isn't really my wheelhouse either the style of the song they chose or the type of thing they wanted to do like have you ever had that happen yeah and I'm willing to do the research and I'm willing to stretch and to learn and and work hard so that's never an issue for me Mm -hmm. um but I'm also willing to be honest yeah. say hey i'm not the guy for this yeah and, and not because i don't want to yeah not because i don't want to do the work but because you name it i mean there are better people than me at doing most of what i do um <laughs> you're very humble <laughs> yeah. no no it's it's absolutely true and i, I think that's true of, of all of us you know like if we're being very honest yes there are certain might, elements yes mm-hmm. i bring a combination like mm-hmm. of skills like my skill set is pretty unique, mm-hmm. but my individual skills are not unique. Oh, that's that makes a lot of sense. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So if you are wanting something that maybe hits on something that isn't a strong suit of mine, and I can't supplement it with something that is a strong suit of mine, right? Then the last thing I want is to give your kids something that's subpar. I mean, I'm still I'm was am and will always be a teacher first. Right. Right. So I would rather quote unquote, lose out on the gig or, or that loss of income or, yeah. you know, can't do this project, but know that, you know, it's not going to be a loss of respect because hopefully you'll appreciate that I sent you to the right person. Uh, yeah. And I've got enough faith in the universe where if I turn down a gig, then hopefully somebody else somewhere else is saying, you know what, John's the guy that needs to do this for you. So right. it, it balances out. It, I think. It, you're very right. And that they could come back in a different year and you are the right guy for it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. I, I totally right. see what you're saying there. Having said that, I also think that now I'm kind of a proven commodity. And yeah. people, generally speaking, again, knock on wood, um, but generally speaking, people aren't asking me to do things that I don't do. Right. Because... Because my slate is pretty full of people who want what I do. Right, right. Exactly. Which I'm, again, grateful, and that's that's a blessing. And that, but I also don't think that happened accidentally. That was from years of building trust and years of hard work and years of people believing in me when they had no reason to. And so it's it's kind of the perfect storm. But but I'm I'm very very lucky that for the most part now people ask me to do what I do. Well, and going back to the younger the younger teachers, directors, uh, choreographers, professionals. 
um, that what you what you said at the end there, I think is so important. I want to put it out one more time is that it takes time to get to a place in your work career where you have earned that respect, where you have um, worked with people and you've and you've made the contacts and you've and you've learned your own skill sets and what you're great at and what you need to get better at and things like that. And I certainly when I was younger was much more of the type of person who like we were saying earlier couldn't tell us anything. Right. But, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to to, you know, get to the place to calm down enough, I guess is what I want to say, that you can just kind of enjoy the ride for the first few years of, of your work and just take everything in, just absorb everything you're seeing around you um, and learning things through who you're meeting and all that. So with that said, a question I have for you is who would you say, and you can name multiple people, would be show choir professionals that really influenced you or really helped you or mentored you in some way? Um, the first one, hands down, is Nancy Bocek. Mm. She was a choreographer at uh, Wheaton Moral South when I first started teaching. She was the, her husband, Bill Burr, was always her accompanist at camp. And one year he was on an international tour with the Glen Allen Children's Choir. So oh. she brought me to camp as her accompanist. Oh. Um, she took me under her wing. Um, so she was the first one that, that really believed in me enough to, to give me some chances that maybe yeah. I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, Dwight Jordan. Uh, yes, obviously. Was, I mean, yeah, I, we've, I think anybody in the business has learned something from Dwight, whether Absolutely. directly or indirectly. Yeah. Um, but getting to work, yeah, yeah, and getting to work side by side with him for so many years and, yeah. and, and develop that relationship. Um, Linda Southerd, mm -hmm. Linda McEachern, yeah. Linda Southerd. Miss Linda. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Miss Linda, uh, just, again, in all elements, yeah. uh, Verda and Eric Van Cleve were probably the two that helped me most in terms of show design mm -hmm. and just creativity. And Eric just, because Eric used to write for me and has yeah. been a great friend. And, and you know, certainly that's another one where I, I thought about writing a book when I was yeah. teaching. And maybe now, maybe that'll be my third career. I don't yeah. know. Um I'm fascinated by the when your heroes become your friends. Ooh, that's a book I'd you know? read, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and I don't know how, it's mostly dumb luck and mostly, you know, fate. I think it's certainly not something that I deserve or have earned. Um, but like a lot of my heroes have... Like now they're on my speed dial. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So, so Eric was one of those, you know, in terms of arranging, I never wanted to be an arranger. Even when I started directing, even yeah. in year five of directing, when I had started to arrange things for my kids, I didn't want to be an arranger. Like it wasn't on my radar. Um, but I learned as much as I could from him and in all that kind of stuff. Uh, same thing with Verda. Like she was putting cool shows together before Chopin was cool. For real. Yeah. And like the, what you've learned from them and just spending time with them is right. is so much greater, I think, than what a lot of us learn. Uh, well, certainly you're not learning any of this in college. I mean, let's be honest, that's not a program that anyone is offering. So you're not getting it there. Um, and if you're only spending time with your peers, I think that's not a thing you're necessarily gaining. So like, it's not just that, yes, it's an amazing thing that your mentors are your friends now, but that you took the time to spend time with them when you were learning and to ask questions and to maybe look a little dumb. I mean, I don't know if yeah. that was the thing you ever thought. I certainly well, it's funny. in my mind all the time. It's funny because you would ask, you know, do you learn more from success or failure? Or do you mm -hmm. avoid risks and all that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. The very, my, the first time I was the sole director of the show choir, Wheaton Warble South, which was my third year teaching. What year was there that? There were multiple, oh, 2004, five, five, something like that. Okay. Ish. Yeah. That sounds about so, right. So yeah, the show choir yeah. year of 2005 um, was my first, you know, sole directing year. And I brought the kids. That's when show choir nationals was still a new thing yes. in Nashville. Yes. And Daryl had just uh, recently retired from his teaching job. And so, you know, starting this new thing and how cool. And I, of course, was going to be, you know, the best in the country. And right. the way to do that is to see the best in the country, which I still believe. Yeah, agreed. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, so I was going to, and we went to that contest, not expecting anything. Yeah. Um, the, 
the kids who were in the group had been in show choir before because it was at the school. It, mm-hmm. it existed. Mm-hmm. Um, the choral program was pretty comprehensive, so there was good. There, you know, were good singers. Um, anyway, so it's not like we were clueless as to what the activity yeah. was, but we did not have a clue in terms of how competitive things were and some of those decisions that you need to make to be successful. So, go to this contest pay the fee, get to perform on the Grand Ole Opry stage. There were seven show choirs that year. Oh, okay. And six made finals. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I know where this is going. Oh, yeah. Oh, you do. So we did not make finals. Oh, bless. Um, and talk about learning from your mistakes. I mean, yeah. That was also where I learned pay a dollar, take your chance. Yeah. And I yeah. don't, I don't want to, I mean, I stole that phrase from Miss Linda, but the idea I learned myself the hard way um, because our rankings, anybody who wants to talk about choir judging and rankings <laughs> yes. and all that kind of stuff, we could certainly <laughs> well, go there. But our rankings that day were uh, of the five judges. We were ranked two, three, four, five, six. You were a rainbow split. How about that? Two, three, four, five, six, and we did not make finals, finishing in seventh place. So okay. law scoring is what you're telling me. Well, it was just one of those goofy, everybody yes. was everywhere. Yes. And I was an idiot, but I had gone to camp. Okay. So Verda knew who I was, okay. and Verda was one of the judges, okay. as was Alan Chapman, David Legg, Pete Eklund, and Verda, Alan, Eric Vancleef. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So that was the judging panel. Again, how weird is it that I remember a specific judging panel from 15 years ago? But of course you do, because this is a big lesson for you. Yeah. Because it was the Grand Ole Opry, Mm -hmm. and part of that contest was everybody staying in the same hotel. Oh, right. Every other group was preparing for finals and listening to tapes and rehearsing. Mm -hmm. My kids were done. Yeah. And I was walking through the Cascades lobby like an idiot and saw Verda... Sitting yeah. at one of those bars at the, you know, the, the Gaylord Hotel. Yeah, in the middle. Of the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Walked up to say hi to Verda. Gave her a big hug. At which point, all the other judges show up, and it's me in the panel. Oh, well, hey. I'm happy to be an idiot. Yeah. Like, let me ask my questions. Yeah. And by then, I mean, by then they had greased the skids a little bit. So yes, and, yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the hand gesture, but we're talking about maybe having bibing a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, just some consumption. Um, But they were just all so forthcoming and just so helpful about everything that they thought. And they'd been around the block and I knew who every one of them were. Mm -hmm. And so I just sat there and learned. Yeah. And and they made me feel comfortable. Everybody at that table that night made me feel comfortable enough to ask a stupid question. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. So I just kind of, and from then on, like I, you know, I was not afraid in my fourth and fifth year teaching to call Gail and be like, Gail, what should these kids wear? This was before Gail had her superstar business. It was when she was still finishing teaching and just starting, but I knew that her kids looked better than everybody else's kids. Right. So at least look different. Mm -hmm. And so like I learned then to go straight to the people who I thought were the experts in whatever area that I needed help with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I still do that. I think, well, I, I know that about you. And I think that's why you continue to like, well, that's why anybody does. That's why they, anyone continues to grow and change as they get older mm-hmm. is if they're willing to still have that growth mindset, that learning mindset. No, you never get to a point where you know everything that doesn't exist. Right. So you always have to be willing to, you know, be willing to look a little dumb. And that happens in my life yeah. all the time. You have been present for some of those, but honestly, <laughs> it's a good thing because I always yeah. learn something when I do. Um, the, I have to, I have this list of questions that I always try to get through, but I don't have to, but this one, I really want to know for sure what your answer would be to this one. Okay. okay. <laughs> what would you want your show choir legacy to be? Like, what do you want people to remember you for? in show choir universe when you've stopped doing show choir? I'm really not trying to get the most humble caption award. Um, (laughs) It comes with a golden trophy though, and a scholarship to camp. So keep that in mind. I do like a trophy. I'll throw that out there. (laughs) Um, 
No, it's but it's the absolute truth. And remember when I was telling you when I first looked into being a music major in college when I was abandoning all the science stuff, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a pit musician. Right. And my favorite thing to do when I'm actually performing now, um, and even for the past when I was teaching, my favorite thing to do is accompany. Like oh. I like being I like being an accompanist. I would accompany every day of the week. In, really? I yeah, love it. Okay. Um, so I would be truly would be okay if I didn't have a legacy and wasn't remembered. But I would think it would be pretty cool if some of the groups I taught were talked about in the lexicon in a couple decades. I see what you're saying. Like if somebody looked back and said, you know, the Wheat Marvel South Wizard of Oz show. Yeah. <laughs> I really am okay for people to not know who the director of that group was. I don't want them to be like, oh man, did you see John's Oz show? No, 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 no. Right. It was the Wheat Marvel South Classics mm-hmm. Oz show because those kids did it. Mm-hmm. You know, or the the Carmel Ambassadors 9-11. You know, oh, if, yes. if, you know, 25, 50 years from now, somebody plays that or talks about it, or even, like I said, if it's some part of the lexicon or discussion, um, then that would make me smile from the other side, I think. I, I don't, so. I really don't, I don't want or seek that. And I truly am not, yeah. like, that's just, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, and, those of us who know you know that that's true. I mean, I, I understand that you're not just being falsely humble there, but um, no. I will tell you that it was during one of these interviews not that long ago, the Wizard of Oz show came up as somebody's, no way. Um, yeah, favorite favorite uh, story show, so to speak. So when we had a whole little discussion about it, yes. But uh, I will say both yay and I'm sorry for story shows. <laughs> <laughs> we did fully blame you for that. That was part of the conversation. Um, was that? And I'll tell you, you can go and listen to this episode if you want. It's Steph Hyatt and I talking about it. And she, and we're not blaming you, quote in a bad way, but yeah. when we were discussing like the advent of it or when it became really popular. Um, sure. we were discussing that time frame, of course, and, and we discussed that a little bit, but no, I think that that's, I think that's a really important thing for people to hear as well. And for someone like you who has, you know, I'll say it for you, has had a lot of, um, competitive success in their career and with their groups. And, um, you know, you guys won fame nationals when that was a thing, what, three times, I think in the course of five years and a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, your kids have always been, you know, in my memory of under uh, of show choir time, you know, people that we all look to and those groups that we look to and go, okay, what are they doing and what's new and what's innovative? So um, to hear you say something like that, I think is really, really important for all of us to remember that, like, you have to come at this job, any version of this job, whether you are writing, whether you are choreography or you're directing with an educator's mindset and an educator's heart because if you're not in it for the teaching and the allowing the students to have these experiences and and see all of this then what are you doing right well and i liken it to it's it's i'm not i'm likening it to i'm not making a direct comparison um because i think teaching is different than parenting yes but i mean most really great parents that you ask would rather be remembered for their kids and they would, you know, you would rather people talk about how great your kids are than talk about how great you are. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. When my kid does something great, it's like, yes, that's amazing. Like it's that, that light on fire kind of thing. And sometimes I think people lose that and it's okay. I mean, everyone's just human. I think there are certainly seasons we all go through. You can probably pinpoint years in your memory of teaching just like I can, where I'm like, well, I was less in it for the right reasons that year. It's just, I mean, again, we're humans. It's going to happen. But by and large, if you're there um, to seek fame for yourself, uh, that's a fool's errand in show choir, friends. For that's sure. not a thing. Because um, show choir of fame, by the way, is an illusion that is not a real thing. <laughs> Short-lived at best. I don't know how you would even measure that on a scale. Like, what is yeah. show choir being famousness? But, um, but yeah, I think that um, that's such a great answer. I love I loved that that's what your answer was for that, is, is that people remember some of the work that your kids did and, and, and get to talk about that for years. So I don't think there's any danger that that will not happen. Um, Oh, I have to ask you about this while we're talking about this. What's the year, 
where the show ran backwards oh, and no. forwards. Was that yeah, I did that once. 20, yeah, it was 2014. 14. It was 2014. Okay. It was my last year in Wheaton. Yes, that's right. And I, well, for me, I had thought about that for years going, could you ever do something like, and it wasn't the way you ended up putting it out there, but I, what, that was one of my favorite things was like, I loved how random and creative that was. Like, for me, that was fun. Was that an actual nightmare to put together? Yeah, it was the most difficult show I ever wrote, <laughs> um, which is why I did it once and will only ever do Never it once. Never again. Okay, so I'll, Never again. I'll scratch that because, off my list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, by the time I had gotten to that, I was, you know, writing all my own stuff yeah. by that point. Um, and I was also, you know, thanks to whoever started the medley, the mashup, the mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't doing, I wasn't writing five song show choir sets anymore. Right. Which would have been easy to do forwards and backwards. Yeah. What I was writing were complex medleys that had direct segues between and amongst themselves. So it wasn't just do songs in a different order. It was make sure that all the cadence points resolved sufficiently going multiple directions. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare that we didn't know about until we were too far in to say no. Um, but again, that, that creative decision was driven by a pedagogical choice, yeah. which was that was the year after we graduated all the superstars from the right. class. Right. Um, and so, so we did that show because knowing that we were going to hit the road and that plenty of judges, plenty of audiences were going to make, make sure that we weren't as successful as we were the year before. Mm-hmm. And I knew that my kids to a certain degree kind of didn't want to be the ones that let the program down. We built up this huge dynasty. So I made sure that any, any, um, any strikes against us were on the adult (laughs) side of the score sheet, not on the kid side. That actually, you know, so people could, Yeah. yeah, people could criticize the show or the show didn't work or so that whole creative decision really was, I mean, mostly to kind of guard and protect the kids and to give them Look, kids, we're going to try something new. It might fail. And if and when it does, right. my fault, not yours. Right. That, and, and that was so wonderful of you to do that and to think forward like that for those kids. Because um, yeah. that is so difficult, what you're saying about. And certainly you're dealing with a legacy that most of us would never have, have ever achieved or dealt with in a, in a program that we're in. We're, but we all know that feeling as directors where, you know, you've had two or three years of really like rock star right. couple kids or a whole bunch of kids and then they graduate and it's like, um, uh, well, what do we do now? You know? And I think most of us tend to not be as smart as you were about that. Um, but you just, you know, you, you do need to pick for your children and you do need to think about them first when you're choosing stuff. And oftentimes when I have conversations with directors about shows that they feel frustrated with or something's not linking up or something's not matching and I'll say, well, why did you choose this piece? Or what, what was the function behind this idea of a show or whatever? And I can't tell you how often the answer is, well, I really like this song. And so I really just wanted it to, I mean, and it has literally nothing to do with right. what children they have, what their ability level is or anything like that. Um, that just always makes me a little bit nuts when that happens. So I, I, I think that the more we can push people and directors to do what you're saying there with the whole, like, think the students first, of course, but also pedagogically, what can we do here as opposed to, right. this is my favorite Lizzo song, which by the way, you can't do any of pretty much because so many bad words who did one this year though that was oh it was uh glenwood had a lizzo song on their show and it was phenomenal yes (laughs) yes i'm familiar with that tell me uh, do you know anything about that that seems really no that's obviously why i'm bringing that up to you but yeah that's uh that's i think that's an important thing for people to remember and keep in mind okay so we're to the part of the interview here where you are going to answer the five questions that everyone has to answer. Okay. Are you ready? Awesome. You're not ready. I promise. Okay. So the first one's an easy one. This is a softball to get you into it. Okay. What is your favorite entertainment medium? That I seek or that I participate in? Ooh, good question. How about both since you said that? Yeah. I mean, I play volleyball three or four nights a week. Awesome. So that, that, um, and you know, until the COVID-19, Ann and I have been going to the movies quite a bit. So I'll say that. What is your one. favorite movie you've seen in the last year? Oh, no. 
mean, you can give me maybe two or three if you need to. Well, I'm saying, oh, no, because I'm terrible with pop culture and I don't remember the names of movies <laughs> or actors or actresses or songs. Or OK, this could be or... fun. Describe the plot and we'll see if I can figure out what movie it is. It was it was the one that it's not in English. Um, it was the the one that won the Academy Award. Yes. Where they were the going in and they die. I don't want to give a spoiler. No, but alert, obviously but I know what it is. And I literally can't think of it either. People, what is the name of that movie? People. Parasite. There. There it was from Korea, yeah. right? South Korea, right? I think that's Korea. Where yep, the yep, yep. From. Yes. Yep. Oh, it was yes. every bit as good as everybody thought okay, it was. I mean, is it really it was. scary because I do not love a scary movie, but is it like thrillery? Uh, yeah, I mean, there it's it's everything, and I think that's okay. why it was one of my favorites because there there are moments where it's funny, and oh. there are moments where it's really uncomfortable yeah. and really poignant. So yeah, it's there are some moments that are kind of scary but it's okay. not a horror movie i can't do that stuff anymore now once i had kids i got real squeamish about all that kind of stuff i don't know why that is but okay that is an excellent movie recommendation as well thank you so much okay yes second question can you tell us your entire song set from your senior year of show choir yes oh, good you'd be surprised not everyone can all right here we go okay so it started with I have to picture it. Bonus points um, if you can do the choreo. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do the choreo. <laughs> can uh, you do the choreo? I could, but won't. Oh, well, that's um, another face. It's, it's because we were terrible. Oh, oh, oh. And okay. our movement was very minimal. Um, I'm, of course, saying this, hoping that nobody affiliated with that creative team is ever going to say Although, surely, this many years removed, they would also know it was awful. Uh, by this point. Um, and if they didn't know it was awful... Yeah, if they didn't know it was awful, uh, the judges tried their damnedest to tell them that. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, we started with started with Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. And then solid. Uh, went into the Grand Illusion. Oh. And then I hope I get it from Chorus Line. And then all I need is the girl. And then yesterday by In Vogue was the girl's song, and then yes. Go the Distance. From Hercules. Oh, the distance gets me every time. Ugh, still. Yeah. And then uh, our closer was uh, Footloose. Nice. That is a very perfect, like, late 90s show choir set, I feel like, right there. Oh, yeah. That's exactly, yeah. like, hits all the buttons. I think that was also my senior year show was every <laughs> single one of those. No, I will tell you that my senior year show actually included Love Shack in it as the, I'm pretty sure, the closer. And... Or was the fourth number? But th no, 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 no. It was the closer for sure. And um, I can definitely still do all that choreo still. Oh, I believe, um, yeah. Were you judging at Mitchell the year when we went to Blarney's afterwards? Because that's the only place in Mitchell to go that's still open after the contest. And um, and I ended up doing the choreography. Your face tells me no because you would remember it. Because Jen Gulsbank no, scored it for me. And it was very... She gave me very generous scores, but it was it was probably not that good. Well, good for her. In the visual category. It was very kind of her. Um, okay, next question. What is your favorite show that you've ever, show choir show, that you've ever seen? So you can't have had any role in it whatsoever. Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Am I allowed to, like call back in and give a different answer next week when I change my mind. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're going to sleep on it and call me at two and be like, wait, I had a different thought. <laughs> I will say right now, just the first one that pops into mind is Lafayette Jeff magic show. Oh, well you, that's a great answer. And if people want to go find it, what year is that? Oh dear. Ninety. Six or seven? Am I wrong? Um, yeah, it's mid to late 90s. That's an excellent show. Children who are brand new teachers and under the age of 35, you can go look that up and yep. it's really wonderful. Okay. Favorite show that you've ever been a part of? So either as a performer or director or arranger, favorite show? And you could say a couple if you need to. I understand what's happening. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like it's like picking your favorite kid. I, and I totally um, get that. So you can say a couple if you need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, it's each show, um, got, like it's a flood of memories. I'll say the one that most people talk about that, that was pretty crazy is the, is the Oz show. Um, and that was fun because 
we figured out a way to do something that was being done on the West Coast with a Midwestern yeah. sensibility. Yeah. So I'm pretty proud of that and the, the risk that we took to try to do that. Um, so that would be towards the top, just in terms of being memorable. And then uh, my last year in Carmel, the 9-11 show, yeah. was just really special for me. That had more to do with the kids and their ability to deliver that message than the show did. Yeah. So for me, I, I think the reason that show sticks out is because of the kids. Yeah. And that, but those and would be the two, I think, that float towards the top. That tends to be the common answer for directors is you have one that like creatively you feel really like, you know, strongly about. And then you have one that just attaches to you because of who was in it. So yeah. that's I totally understand that. And and those are also both excellent shows. And so that would have been Karma would have been twenty seventeen, right? I think that was that year. That sounds right. Yeah. Um and then Oz was twenty 12 right 12 sounds right yeah i'm very impressed with me i'm usually terrible at that so i'm i know you're better than i am no i'm usually really bad at that stuff and i have some friends who are like show choir encyclopedias and so when i'll be like was that 2012 they'll be like how do you not know the da 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 i'm like why do you know that like how much brain space are you taking up with this encyclopedic knowledge of show choir shows Well, thank you so, so much for hanging out today, John Burless. This was too much fun. And we could do this for another probably four hours if we wanted to. (laughs) Because I feel like we only hit on like half of the things I would want to talk to you about. So you have to come back and we have to do this again. Deal? Yeah. Okay. Especially, I mean, if this COVID thing lasts, we're, you know. (laughs) We're going to do 75 episodes in the next two days, John. (laughs) I love it. All right. Tell your lovely wife and tell your doggies that we said hi and thank you yes and hi to all the boys in your house yes and all of all of our people stayed quiet during this which is a miracle really let's be honest yes yes (laughs) all right i will talk to you soon that's good have a good one